Hallelujah. This uh, meeting so far has been a real confirmation to what I was getting in my spirit for what I felt like the Lord wanted to do with us this morning. And um, the uh, as soon as Heidi began to play, I was singing out and she started to go with this, God, light the candles of my heart. And that God wants to light it and has been lighting uh, a candle in our hearts this morning to reveal. And I just felt like as a prophetic act, I was looking at these two candles and they weren't lit. And I felt like the Lord wanted to light them as a prophetic way of declaring, you know, that he wants to light the candle of our heart. And that... uh, He wants us to be a people who um, allow this to happen. So as I light these uh, candles, would you recognize that um, these candles represent you? The fire represents the presence of God. The light is the light that God wants to shine into our hearts. It says in Proverbs twenty twenty seven that... Uh, I'll read it to you. In the King James, it actually uses the word candle. This is a, the New American Standard. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, or in the King James, the candle of the Lord. And it searches the innermost parts of his being. And I, I don't know what you were hearing during the worship and the ministry, but this is what I was hearing you know, in terms of God wanting to do this work in us, you know, to do this work of lighting up the dark places and getting rid of all the stuff that could hinder us, you know, because he desires to use us in powerful ways. He desires to anoint it, anoint us in ways we've never been anointed before, to do things we've never been able to do before by the power of his spirit. But he has to be able to get to the depths of our heart and call us to that place of surrender. So I'm going to light these candles You know, I was just about to try and light that myself, but I didn't know that I would need help. But Andy knew I was going to need help. That's really interesting. (laughs) Do you realize some of these things? I mean, the, the, the instructions of the Lord happen on so many levels in so many different ways. This is why Jesus was always warning, chiding, encouraging us. Do you have eyes to see? What are you seeing? Do you have ears to hear? What are you hearing? And so here I was simply intending to try and light this this candle. But the Lord knew that I would have difficulty because he knew the nature of these candles. He knew the heat of this match. And he knew that that was not going to work without my getting help. And so Andy came up without being asked, just knowing in the spirit, I need to come up. And I don't think he knew the nature of the candles either, except he recognizing, operating, this is important, the gift that's in him to kind of help you and help the body. So that was a real prophetic moment of what God has put in you to run to help other people and be there. And some people don't like that help. They'd resist it. You know, they'd say, I don't need your help. You know, I'm a big guy. I can light candles on my own. But the truth is, we're all children of God in need of help. 
Those are good places to say amen. And if somebody is willing to help you, don't be stupid. Receive the help. Because it's that arrogance and pride. And God has so created the world and created us that we need each other in order to come to the place of maturity that he wants us to have. You know, even when you don't know it, you think you've got it under control. You know, you're at the stage of like my little granddaughter who's three. She's at the I can do it myself stage, you know. And you think, well, I can do it myself. But you can't do it yourself. This is really good for you to catch that right there. Where in your heart of hearts you're saying to the Lord, I can't do it myself. I can't do this myself. I need brothers and sisters, mentors and teachers, supporters and helpers, friends and intercessors to come around me on every level because I can't do it myself. And then you saw how difficult it was to try and get that, that, that candle lit because there are places of resistance and reluctance in us that we need a match to stay there and then it needs to be a stronger fire. How many of you have had God put the fire up more intensely? How many of you didn't like that? How many of you knew that God didn't care that you didn't like it? Because the thing that God wanted to do inside of you didn't happen. It didn't happen with the first preach. It didn't happen with the first prayer. It didn't happen with the first act of repentance. It didn't happen with the first whatever. You had to go back and go back and go back and go back. We're going to look at that in Jeremiah 18 in a little bit. Because this is part of the process of God. So here he's holding the candle for me. And we're holding that and holding that. You know, until finally... If the candle here naturally was damp and it, we were drying it, drying it, drying it, till it became to the point of being ignitable. And we watch this in people's lives and we have to be patient with one another because sometimes we're not yet at the place of being ignitable. And we get frustrated with one another because there's the fire being lit and it would normally, in any other case, light the candle. So what's wrong with you? You know, I'm praying for you, I'm preaching to you, we're interceding for you, we're counseling you, we're worshiping with you, we're teaching you dance steps, what's the matter with you? And that's because that thing inside of us is not yet ignitable. You know, all of those things are doing the work to prepare the way for that sublime moment when it will ignite. And then you see that person when, well, you see yourself when finally the penny drops. Finally, the light is able to get the candle to ignite. So these are pictures that the Lord gives us of, of ourselves. And then once the one candle got lit and the, a match was now burning out, but it didn't matter if the match was burning out anymore. That work of God was done in your life. You need to let that season go beyond you. <coughs> you can't, excuse me. You can't go back to the old season and wish you could stay, well, when the church was this, or my family was this, or my life was this, or my job was this, or my age was this. That season is over. It's burnt up. It's finished. But your life is not burnt up and over. Now, as the candle got ignited, a new season has begun. That had a greater flame than before. Are you following this? And so with that new flame, then the second candle was able to be ignited quicker because that flame had a greater heat level 
than the match. You now have a greater heat level, so you're able to ignite people faster than you were in your previous season. Because the season has changed you, you got ignited, now you're ignited on another level. Do you understand that? It's a good place for some of you to say amen, because God was just explaining to you what has been happening to you for the last 10 years. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So here God, while we were worshiping, you know, this is what some of the things the Lord was beginning to show me out of Proverbs twenty twenty seven that, you know, our spirit is the place that God wants to ignite. And then he wants to search us. And so many people don't want to be searched. You know, we want to be entertained. We want to be made happy. God wants to mature us. In order to mature us, he has to search us. The, uh, uh, the psalmist cried, search me, O Lord. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, the psalmist cries out, search me, O Lord, and test me, and see if there's any wicked or evil or corrupt way within me. Because this psalmist David wanted all that God had for him. And he realized there were things inside of him that would prevent that from happening. And he was saying, Lord, whatever would prevent that from happening, put your light, light your candle inside of me. Search, put your light on, search me and try me, test me, assay me and see if, show me if, show me what needs to be changed. These are prayers of people who are on the path to maturity and want to be on the path to fruitfulness. People who want to remain the same will never dare pray a prayer, teach me, search me and test me and try me. They would never do that because they don't want that possibility to exist inside of their life. They want these things to be hidden and they want to put on, you know, the airs or the show or the presentation that everything is good. See? You know, I can wear the right clothes. I can say the right thing. I can act in the right way. And nobody, we can't see into one another's heart. But God sees our heart. And he calls us to present our heart to him so that he can do the work of preparing us and changing us and maturing us. And this is where people back away or people go forward and say, yes, Lord, I want all that you want. And other people back away and say, well, I really don't. You know, I want to live my life, my way, for my plans and my purposes. And here the Lord is calling those who will come forward. Those who will be his people, you know, in eternity, really. Those who will be his people, not only on the earth, uh, but in eternity. The bride, you know, those who go through the process, the training process. The bride without spot or blemish. The bride without those flaws and failings and weaknesses because God has done a work in our hearts to change us. And of course, we have to be willing to be changed. We have to be willing to pray such a prayer as in Psalm 139. Turn with me to, we'll go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 18. You understand, um, as we turn to Jeremiah 18, you can just jot down this verse, Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah 64, 8. Now, O Lord, you are our Father, And we are the clay and you are our potter. 
and all of us are the work of your hand. So we understand that God is the potter, we are the clay, and he is our father, the potter. This is really important for us to understand. And some of us have a problem with this because we didn't have good fathers growing up. So the picture of father in our heart is either absent or corrupted or negative or wrong. And I pray that the Lord would heal your understanding of what father is for you. That you would allow the father to be the heavenly father, to be the kind of father that you can trust. To be the kind of father that you run to because he's there to encourage you and teach you how to do what you need to do. And to be there to encourage you when you fall. To encourage you when you make a mistake. To encourage you when you fail. No condemnation. No guilt. No making fun of you. No putting you down. No embarrassing you or humiliating you or any other thing that might have happened in that part of your life growing up. But here's the Heavenly Father embracing you and loving you and encouraging you as you go through the process of learning how to do whatever it is He's trying to teach you how to do it. Because in, as a child, the first time you, know, you, you saw something, you didn't know how to do it. You know, if you, you become expert at something, you have to go back to the first time you actually saw that thing, whether it was a tool that daddy was using, you know, to use a screwdriver or a saw or something, you know, and the first time you you'd had no idea how to use it, you know, and um, we do- my, my daughter bought my granddaughter a little wooden tool set. And she loves to sit almost for, you know, for a three-year-old, this is quite a lot, sit for an hour with me as we've got these big wooden bolts and screws. And she's learning how to, you know, that these things screw on and then they screw off. And one way tightens it and another way loosens it. And that's a revelation. Like, whoa, this way and that way. And you see her eyes light up. And, you know, there's so many spiritual lessons in this for us. Because God is the Father who is teaching you. This is the potter clay changing you. Why does He want to change you so He can teach you how to rule and reign with Him? This is how you rule over your thoughts. This is how you rule over your feelings. This is how you handle this story. And this is how you handle this situation. And there's no condemnation. And if you fail, He's not angry with you. Do you understand your Heavenly Father is not angry with you? He's not miffed and frustrated at you. Because some of you have parents where you tried and you failed and you failed and they, they just didn't have time for you for whatever reason they were bothered and then just, oh, you're so stupid or you're so that or you'll never get this and you'll never get that and they just walked away and left you in the feeling of hopelessness or despair and then you would just simply give up and say, well, I'll never be able to do that. Well, all the while you had the goods inside of you. You just had to be taught how to do it by the right kind of parent who would not abandon you or reject you or humiliate you or embarrass you or put you down or negate you or call you names or whatever happened. Here's the Heavenly Father always, watch this, always embracing you. Always embracing you. So here we see Jesus with all of these children and, you know, the, the, the apostles, great men of God, you know, leave him alone, the master is busy. And Jesus, being who he is, shut them up and rebuked them and say. Don't tell them not to come to me because the kingdom of God is just like them, guys. As if you think you know. Here, and bring them to me. And they all ran to him and he embraced them and he laughed with them and he stroked them and he kissed them. And the Bible says, and he blessed them. There's a picture of us 
How you, We have to go back to that moment. And if you need that moment inside of your heart where there is yet areas that need to be healed, would you just let the Lord do that work inside of you now? Let him go back in, in your timeline, if you will, to that moment and he can heal you. He can heal you. And I'll tell you what, that memory then changes its flavor. You know, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? That memory that, that brings death to you is changed. The sting of it is gone because Jesus has come in and healed it because he's saying to you, I'm not like that one. I'm not like your father. I'm about to teach you and love you in the process. I'm going to reveal myself to you in the process. I'm going to show you how to do what I want you to do. This is such good news for you. It is such good news for me. And if you're not receiving this, I'm receiving it instead. Hallelujah. You know, hallelujah. Because, you know, there are times I've been in meetings where I felt like, you know, I preached stuff I knew was from the Lord and it bounced off people because they didn't want it. And I said, Lord, I'll take it. If I'll take it. I'm not stealing it from them. You know, I'm not taking it from them. They don't want it. So I'm just saying, yes, Lord, I'll have it. Well, that was a good place for me to say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so here God is our Father. We are clay. He can change us. We're not rock. We're clay in His hands. He can change us. We're malleable, changeable. He can do a deep work in us if we're willing to allow that to happen. And we are, I love this, the work of your hand. Here's the great creator who the Bible says creates everything from nothing. That word in the, the, the Hebrew word in the very beginning of Genesis, bara, bereshit bara, in the beginning God created. That word there is a special word in Hebrew. It means to create from nothing. Whatever nothing is, which is hard to really imagine, nothing and God creates out of nothing, you know, and then he has plans. And we just see, you know, we just see in nature the incredible brilliance of God, the creativity on everything from the molecular level to the biochemical level to just everything that makes life work. And, you know, this is one of the things that has always fascinated me in science and a little bit of the science background is, you know, this stuff that starts to happen and how does it happen? And it's like, how does a leaf, a green leaf, turn sunlight into sugars to enable the tree to have energy to grow and bear fruit? Like, whoa, you know, that leaf you put in your hand, that is a chemical factory that is awesome. Not only is it producing sugars, it's making oxygen so you could be alive. And it's absorbing carbon dioxide, which is poison to you, and turning it in to oxygen. It's like, how cool is that? And it's in a little leaf. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, God. You look at that stuff. And then you look at the little creatures that eat the leaf. And it's like, God, what were you thinking? <laughs> Have I looked at some of these things up close, like under a microscope? It's like, they're seriously ugly creatures. <laughs> and I'm thinking, God, what were you thinking? Were you it late at night? Were you tired? Did you like have extra pots and they, yeah, just angels do something, make some bugs and just put them out in the garden somewhere or worms eating the, never mind. It's like, and it's all over the planet. 
on every level. Here's this, it's beyond genius, you know, this divine creativity. And this is the one who's your father that looks at you as a piece of living clay and says, if you'll let me, I'll make you to who you could never be on your own. Like, whoa, here's this great father with all of the stuff that's necessary. And he wants to invest in you what, you know, uh, his heart for you to make you who you could never be on your own. You know, and the only way this becomes reality for you in this life is if you surrender your heart to the process and say, okay, Lord, you can shine your light inside of me. You can do it inside of me. Here I am. I surrender myself to the wheel. I surrender myself to your goodness, your love, and your plan for me that you want to change me into something that you see me being. I'm willing to let go of how I see myself and embrace how you see See me and let that process go. And here's the Lord just putting it on offer for us. And he can't, he won't do this against your will. And he won't do it if he starts to do a work and he meets resistance, he'll stop. If he meets reluctance, I don't want that. He'll stop. If he meets rebellion, he'll back away. And you'll, we've met people. Oh, well, like I shared with you last night, over these now 40-odd years of ministry, we've met people who ran into places of resistance and then reluctance and then rebellion for whatever reason. And at that point, their spiritual life stopped. It stopped. A year later, you can meet them same people. Five years later, same people just looked older. Ten years later, same people just looked more older. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've looked in the mirror lately, right? It's like, oh, my God, that's not me. Hallelujah. So here we are. Then we meet people who are saying yes to the Lord. And at every place where their resistance or their reluctance or their rebellion surfaced, they repented. They said to their own reluctance or resistance or rebellion. No, you will not stop me from doing, from going where God wants me to go. I'm going where I've never gone before. Help me, Lord, I'm repenting. And they go to a church meeting and they hear, they hear exhortations and encouragements like we've been hearing this morning and you're hearing now. And something inside of them says, yes, I'll step into that river. Yeah, if they're putting a little piece of blue silk on a floor and if that thing represents a doorway for me to go where I've never gone before in the spirit, I'm going to do this silly thing and step on a piece of blue silk and then pow, God meets you because you did something like that. You know, you're not standing there, you know, with your arms. Because look at those people putting silk on the floor. <laughs> What's the matter? What kind of a church is this? Well, at least you lit candles. I mean, you know, now we're getting a bit churchy here. For some of you, it's like, oh, now finally we have a proper church. We have a candle lit. Because you have to have eyes to see. So that's why Jesus was chiding the crowds. What did you expect to see here? Solomon arrayed in all of his finery. But I tell you something far greater than Solomon is in action here. Because the kingdom of God was being opened before their very eyes. 
And we come to these meetings where, you know, quote unquote, silly things happen. You put a piece of blue silk out for people to walk on with a prophetic exhortation that this represents the river of God. And you can mock it and, and, and despise it and miss it. Or you can say, Lord, everything in me that is hindering me from getting where you want me to go and changing me. And if this is a way that I can prophetically declare my victory, my declaration over my soul, I'm going to stand on this silly piece of material and let you do the work inside of me. And we, and God gives us these opportunities over and over and over again in different form because in our, in our flesh, the revelation at Paul, and he had some such remarkable revelations and he said, your flesh is at enmity with God. That's why it must be crucified. So we, you know, we're walking with the Lord and we come to these places and we find the resistance inside of us. And you see, God, I don't even want to be resistant. I don't want to be reluctant. I don't want to be rebellion. But my very nature is crying out against you. My nature doesn't want to obey. You know, my heart wants to obey. And my flesh is saying, stupid heart, we don't want to obey God. We want this or we want that. And you have to rise up and say, no, my heart is not stupid flesh. You're stupid and I'm not going to let you rule over me. That's Romans 7 and 8. <laughs> you know, you recognize, oh my God, I got two natures fighting inside of me. And I've got to turn around and make a choice and say to the potter, I don't want all this resistance that I'm feeling, and I'm feeling it. How many of you know what it means to be feeling it? It's screaming at you. And you have to turn and scream at it. Shut up. You are not going to determine my destiny. I'm not going to be the person that you want me to be. I'm not going down that path. I'm going to be the son of God. I'm going to be the daughter of God. I'm going to be the servant of God. I'm going to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to fulfill the call of God and plan of God on my life so flesh die. But I'm your flesh. And you love me. I did love you. Now I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you to the cross where Jesus died. I'm going to nail you there. <laughs> no, you're not. Yes, I am. I'm going to church where they preach about it. They preach your death and my resurrection. I hate that church. I'm not going to that church. And then the enemy starts, the demons. You know, Jesus called Satan Belizebub, Lord of the Flies, which means flies hang around rotting flesh. You understand that? So here's all that rotting flesh inside of you, right? That, you, that, that is resistant and reluctant. You want to take it to the cross. And there the flies come around it and say, you don't want to go to that church. You're that pastor. And then all the accusation comes and all the fault finding comes. And look at the people who go to that church anyway. They're not even proper churchgoers. Look at them. They do this and they do that there. And the pastor's this and that. And he wears shorts in church. Can you believe he wears shorts in church? Oh, my God. You can't, you can't trust a pastor who has wears shorts in church. Or anything to stop you 
from going to that place where the potter can do the work inside of you. And that's your moment of testing your integrity and your choice to your destiny to where you're going to go. And God is looking at you and saying, okay, son, okay, daughter, what's it going to be? Is it going to be me and my will and my plans and my purposes or what you want and your corrupt flesh wants and the demons that are in cahoots with your flesh? You choose your company. Your flesh and the demons, or my, your spirit and the living God, you make your choice what company you want. Then when you choose the Lord and his company, then all of a sudden, you're not looking at people in the church the way you once did. You're not looking at the outward. You're not looking at whether he's wearing shorts or she's got long hair or they've got this. None of that means anything because you see the treasure in the earthen vessel and that's what you're running after. That's what you're going after. You're not caring about the accent with which they speak or how tall or how short or how heavy or thin or anything about them naturally. You're seeing beyond the flesh into the spirit and seeing Christ in them, the treasure in the earthen vessel. And then you start to receive from that no matter what the vessel is that is bringing it to you. Do you understand that? Now the light that's in them can start to ignite you. Their candle, because they've got something ignited a little bit more than you, and they're willing, they're holding it out to you and say, if you're willing, I'll take what I've got from God, and I'll ignite you with it. And something inside of you says, yes, ignite it. Whereas your flesh would say, oh, God, no, stay away. You keep your candle to yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you don't like it? How many of you know I don't care if you don't like it? Hallelujah. If you don't like it, enjoy not liking it. It's a long list. Hallelujah. Go have a cup of tea and a biscuit. Enjoy not liking it. Because you see that in the Bible. You know, the prophets were scorned by the people. Jesus was rejected by so many. The, the apostles were stoned and rejected and reviled. Because they were preaching truths like this. And people didn't want it. But there were other people that said, you have the words of eternal life. Where are you? I'm going to go home with you. When John first met Jesus, he didn't say, you know, when's the next meeting? He said, where do you live? Because he wanted to be his disciple. That's what happened in, in the first century when you met a, a master, a rabbi who was, crea- who was drawing disciples. They go, well, where are you living? Because I want to live with you because I want all that you have. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not advising you to start living with the pastor or anybody else. So some of you are thinking, oh, can I move in? Well, I mean, if that's the Lord, I'm not going to stop you. But no, you cannot move to with me. That's, you know, we had, we've had that. And now here I'm getting correct. All right, if you want to, but it's going to be a problem. You'll see. Some have no idea what I just said, but that's okay. I know he knows. It was a dialogue. You just happened to be listening to the private dialogue. She knows what the dialogue was because she's thinking, oh, God, I've got this house in bare bedrooms. Jesus, what are you doing? She's giggling or crying or repenting or not. So all this stuff is happening all all, all at the same time. So here we have these opportunities. Jeremiah 18. We have these opportunities We have a father who wants to give us. You understand the heavenly father wants to give you his kingdom. He wants to change you into his image so that you fit into his kingdom the way you're supposed to fit into his kingdom. Do you understand that? 
He's changing you so you fit into his kingdom the way you're supposed to fit into his kingdom. Because you can't fit into his kingdom in the flesh. Your flesh and the kingdom of God are mutually exclusive things. That's why we have to repent of walking in the flesh and learn how to walk in the spirit and let him do the work of changing us into the image of God so you fit into his kingdom the way you're supposed to fit into his kingdom. Then you meet other people who are fit into his kingdom the way they're supposed to. And there's a spiritual harmony. Some of you have had this moment where you meet people and you just fit with them perfectly from the instant that you meet them because you're in that process or you've, a, you've matured in that process to a certain place of transformation and change and adjustment. So your new shape and their new shape fit together. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Where previously those shapes wouldn't fit together because, you know, you weren't at that place. Your, your flesh, their flesh, you didn't, it, didn't, it didn't gel. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You meet people in the flesh, your flesh doesn't like their flesh, their flesh doesn't like your flesh, and the devil has a party. With accusation and gossip and slander and fault finding and yin 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 how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many have been participants in such dialogues, right? Or you've been listening to them in your head? You know that uh, you've heard me talk about the genre of demons I've discovered, the nyan nyan demons. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You, because you, that thing is swirling around the flesh. Churches split over these kinds of things. I've watched them. Leaders split over silly things. Churches split over silly things. And accuse one another over silly things. When you look back at it. Now, to them, they're major, significant, and serious issues. But when you look at it from another perspective, it's silliness. It's immaturity. It's an inability to confront issues in righteousness. It's an inability to speak the truth in love. It's an inability at an immaturity and carnality, flesh, to, to speak the truth in love, to go to somebody alone, to deal with the issues, to have the fierce conversation necessary to get through to the real issues and repent when you need to repent and to speak the truth in love when you need to speak the truth in love because there's a greater picture than you being right involved in all of this. There's a, greater, there's a greater reward. There's a greater story involved. There's a greater message involved. There's greater plans and purposes involved than you being right about a particular theology or doctrine or something. And you see the history of revival stopping and churches splitting, denominations being ripped in half, groups of churches dividing because of leaders that were immature in areas and they, they, they hadn't gone to the potter on that level and let God do a deep enough work in the enemy seeing that got right in there and caused the separation and division because they weren't immature enough, humble enough to really repent and deal with the issues in a way that would see the prize greater than them being right. And they valued being right greater than what God's plans and purposes were. And that's what they got. They thought they were right. Their reward was paid in full. You think you're right. That's your reward that you think you're right. That's essentially the reward that you think you're right. There's your reward. But you never, they never get what the real reward was because they fell short of it by, you know, turning away and by dividing themselves rather than, you know, 
We got an issue. We need to solve it. If we can't solve it together, brother, we're going to bring in somebody that we recognize as a, as a father in the faith or a leader or a pastor in the city or somebody somewhere that can come and mediate between us because we can't see the forest for the trees, you know, and, and we're both, we come with humility before the king. God, if I'm wrong, show me where I'm wrong. I'm willing to repent. And if you've got two men that have that hard attitude that says, Lord, if I'm wrong, show me, they'll never be able to be divided. There's no place the enemy will be able to get in because anytime there's division or disagreement, they come to the place of disagreement with a place of humility that says, Lord, if I'm wrong, I show me. And I think I'm right. I believe I'm right. But if I'm wrong, show me. And you have two men or two groups of individuals, male or female, you know, that have that hard attitude. That church can survive just about anything. That leadership can survive anything because the enemy will find no place to come in because the enemy can't get into where there's humility ruling and reigning. He can only get in where pride is ruling and reigning and arrogance and self-justification. So we go to the potter. Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make it. And here we we read on there, here God is saying, this is just who I am and what I'm doing. We have to be willing to let God do a work inside of us. And as he does a deep work and finds flaws in us, this is really important. It will set you free because you're living with the Lord. You're in your walk with the Holy Spirit. Good things are happening. Then new things start to surface. Resistance, reluctance, rebellion, fear, lust, greed, hidden things of the heart because God is now testing our heart. He's lighting the candle. He's testing our heart. New things come up. Now you realize, oh my God, I'm in the hand of the Lord, but there's a flaw in me. We go back to the potter and he starts to remake the vessel into another mess vessel. Now you're in a new place in the spirit. Now you're, you're, you're been changed in a whole level on a whole new way that you weren't changed in before you were, you were on the path with the Lord. God was doing wonderful things in you and with you and through you, but he brought you to a place where this light started to show inside of you on a deeper level. And there you find this thing coming to the surface and God says, okay, I'm going to remake you into another vessel because there's a new season in your life and I'm going to prepare you and move you and make you suitable for the new season. Do you understand this? God is preparing us. He's taking us from glory to glory, from truth to truth, from one level to another. This is part of the process by which he does it, brothers and sisters. The enemy wants to come in to condemn you when the fault is revealed. Ah, you've been walking with the Lord for so many years and you've still got this or this thing has surfaced and where did this come from? And there the enemy will bring condemnation until you stand before the Lord and say, God, thank you that your light has been shining inside of my heart now. You've revealed this to me. I'm not going back. I'm not resisting. I'm not reluctant. I'm repenting. I'm learning the lessons. I'm repeating the lessons I've learned that brought me to this place. So I'm going to the potter. And now you can do a new deep work inside of me and remake me into another vessel that's now useful for the next season because I couldn't do, I couldn't do in this season 
what you want me to do. If I was still that old vessel, I had to go back to the potter's wheel, let you remake me into a new vessel so that new vessel can function and the level that you want me to in the new season. Do you understand that? I pray that you do. If you don't, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. I'm doing the best that I can to try and explain it to you. And if I'm failing to explain it to you, you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what all of this is about as you go into these scriptures and you pray through those scriptures. Because I tell you that as we're moving into a new season to do new things, God is going to need all of us to be remade into new vessels. Into new, to be able to do what you've never done before, to be able to think what you've never thought before, to be able to create what you've never created before, to be able to manage the stress and the situation and the people and the problems and the situations and the circumstances and the wisdom that you never had to manage to steward all of that. You never will be able to do it unless you're remade into a vessel that's at a new level of maturity to be able to do that. And here's the process. He remade it. I love this. He didn't throw it away. Ah, after 20 years, you're still stuck. Get out of here. No, that's not your heavenly father. He embraces you and says, I'll remake you into another vessel. Because you're repenting and you're obeying. And you're coming to the Lord and saying, here I am. Have mercy on me. And he says, that's me. I'm the God of mercy. I created mercy. Mercy exists because I'm merciful. And he pours the mercy onto you. And he draws you to himself as a good father. And he begins to work in you. And he remakes you into another vessel. And people who come around you have known you say, wow, you've really changed. Did you lose weight? Cut your hair? Or ladies, change your hair color? No, I'm in a new anointing. Hallelujah. I'm in a new place in the spirit. I'm doing things I've never done before. I'm thinking things I never thought before. I'm managing situations, ministries, dynamics that I never did before. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to hear this. I'm preaching to me. Hallelujah. I told you, if you ain't taking it, I'm taking it for you. Hallelujah. Not taking it from you. I'm taking it for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Great King, I thank you that you shine a light into our hearts. Your spirit searches to reveal so you can change us. Take us where we've never gone before. Make us who we've never been before. Lord, I'm looking for that for you, for for me, for the church, for the body of Christ, that we would be a people who've never existed on the earth before. That people of power we heard about earlier, that pastor was praying and proclaiming, that people of anointing, that people, you know, of of wisdom and courage and, and, and fortitude and insight and giftings of so many different kinds to be able to penetrate various parts of the culture, to be able to do what God wants them to do with the grace of God operating in them. So they're not drawing attention to themselves, but they're declaring, this is the work of the Lord inside of me. Turn your eyes upon him. He gets the glory. He gets the credit because he did the work. We just get whatever credit he gives us as obedient vessels that he is able to do a work through because that's where the Lord says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You allowed me to do this work in you. You allowed me to take you to the potter's wheel. You allowed me to change you. You, 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 you resisted your resistance. You rejected your rebellion. You rejected your reluctance. And you stood 
for me and you came to me and allowed me to do the work inside of you and make you into another vessel and then do it again and make you into another vessel and then do it again and make you into another vessel. Well done. That's what he will say on that day to those who successfully walk this way with him. Lord, I pray that we would be such a people. And Lord, whatever we're not understanding from this message that you want us to understand, I pray that your spirit, your t- you Holy Spirit who are our teacher, that you would open these scriptures to us and teach us by your, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would teach it to us in ways that only you can. Because Lord, I know that our ability to learn does not depend on our ability to learn. Our ability to learn depends on your ability to teach us. And you are the teacher par excellence. You are the great teacher. And Holy Spirit, you've come to teach us and guide us. So do that work in all of us. That all that you desire to do. All that's in your heart for us. All when you look at us and say, I want you to be this. And I want you to do this. That for all of us, there would be a yay and amen. And on the great day, there would be a yay and amen from you to us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So, Father, thank you for the process and for teaching us about it, that we might enter into it and enjoy, experience, and bear fruit through it and because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Faithful Karen, hallelujah, is pointing out some resources here that um, we have that are themes similar to this message. This one, appropriately enough, is called The Potter and the Clay. Well, we'll remake it into another vessel, hallelujah. So the messages in here are the hands of the potter. Who is in control? That's a really good one. And fully yielded. Well, that's another good one, too. In fact, they're all good. This one, similarly themed, you can see, is called Reshape Your Soul. And there's a picture of a potter at work. And this one is, uh, has messages entitled, Just One Thought. Because one thought can change your life. Deal with your stuff. We talked a little bit about that. Another message called Rusted Bolts. And the Lord gave me this. Actually, I think I was in Selby when the Lord gave me this message. And he gave me this picture about how sometimes we get stuck and he's got, we've got these bolts that get rusted and how he comes to unrust them and open up, up. And the next last one here in this series is called Reshape Your Soul. And this one is called Light in the Darkness. And these are messages about receiving the truth, exchanging your lies. Because sometimes we have lies that we're so comfortable and used to that they define us. And when the light shines, we realize, oh my God, those are lies I've believed about myself. I'm not that person. I'm really another person. We have to learn how to exchange the lies for the truth. And we have to, of course, the last message is let the light in. And these are teachings about how to do all of that. So they're all available for you. We thank you for your purchases that support our work. Those of you that don't know or not familiar with our ministry, we have a free duplication policy on all of our material. If you, get to, if you purchase any of our material and you'd like uh, to give it away, you are free to do so. Make as many copies as you like. Pass them, away, pass them along. The only thing we ask is that you put our contact information on everything that you copy or email or however you distribute it so that whoever gets it knows how to find 
our, uh, our ministry. And uh, the sale of the stuff is one of the ways that we support the work that we're doing you know, in the nations, uh, like after this tour, I'm going to Poland for two weeks. And your, you know, your offerings and your purchase helps us go to countries like that. So bless you. Amen.